You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. I want to actually spend some time looking at a story in Matthew chapter 14. It's actually one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. In all the Bible, it's one of my favorites. It's the story of Peter um, walking on the water. So some of you have heard this and remember this from uh, your days in Sunday school as as a child or just something you may have read here recently. So let me read from Matthew chapter 14, starting with verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for this uh, experience of Peter's. Uh, Father, as we dig a little deeper into it, I, help, I pray that you would help us understand how this might even apply to us today. Um, so, Lord, we commit the remainder of this time to you and ask Holy Spirit for you to speak as you desire to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So think about this setting. That's, I mean, for me, I, always, I love this story because of the visual. You know, as I'm trying to imagine this and having been on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, um, you know, I, I have that idea I can identify a little bit. But this is really not much different than if you're out in the middle of Lake Norman, okay? It's a big lake, and you're far from shore, and so it's a little different, but, I mean, it, it works. If you've ever been out on a boat in the middle of Lake Norman, you get a sense of kind of what's, what this might be like. But there, it says that they were there late at night, a considerable distance from shore, um, and the time period is probably between 3 to 6 a.m. So they've been out on this water for a long time. They're, they're mentally drained. I mean, think you're trying to get a boat across to the other side, and the waves, the storm, the wind. Um, they've also, the, the, this story comes immediately after the incident where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Remember the fish and the, and the loaves? And so that whole thing is, they've had a long day. And now they're in this boat, they're up, they haven't slept. So they're, they're just wore out emotionally. Physically, they've got to be exhausted. You know, they've been, they've been, it's been a long day again. They've been up all night and, and they haven't slept. And they're emotionally scared. I mean, they think they've just seen a ghost. Um, and so they, they're, 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 they're freaking out and they're terrified, I think is the word it's used. In the middle of all this, 
Okay, so you're tired, you're wore out, you're exhausted, and the wind and then the waves, and you think you've seen a ghost, and yet, you know, in the middle of all this, Peter gets the idea, huh, I think I want to try and walk on water. Peter saw an opportunity there that the other disciples didn't see. The other disciples are in the boat, and they're happy to be there, safe and secure, and actually feeling better now that Jesus is here. We get the sense that Peter had this ability to focus and concentrate and to see things that others didn't see. So, I actually have a little test for you today. We're going to see how well you can focus and concentrate and think. If you're like Peter's, we're not going to go walk on water. But uh, back in the 90s, uh, I think it was University of Indiana put together this study about the ability of people to be able to focus and concentrate. And so we're going to have, um, what you're going to see is a little video. It's a short video. But on the screen will be um, six people. I know I'm doing six people. And uh, three of the people will be wearing a white T-shirt. Three of the people will be wearing a black T-shirt. Both teams, white shirts and black shirts, will have a basketball. All six people are moving around. They're just intermingling and moving around, so there's movement. And each team is passing the basketball among their team members. So you've got two balls that are being bounced and going through the air. So it's a pretty chaotic scene. Your task is to count how many times the people in the white shirts, how many times the white team passes the ball between a team member. So the test, it, 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 it's pretty challenging, but it can be done if you focus. Now, I re- now, some of you may have actually taken this test before. You've seen this. If you have, just sit quietly. Don't tell the answer to your neighbor. Let them see if they can figure it out on their own, all right? So go ahead. If you wouldn't mind, again, you're following the team in the white shirts, you could stop the video there. All right. Some of you think you've you got to figure it out. 14, 15, 16. So it's, we're, we're, all, we're all in a neighborhood. It is 15. It is 15. How many of you saw the gorilla? Okay. How many of you are saying, what in the world are you talking about? Okay. All right, I want them to play the video again. You're, you're good, you're, now, it is the same video. Some of you are going to accuse me of switching videos here. We're going to watch the same video. Don't count. Just watch. Okay? Go ahead.
Isn't that hilarious? I've watched that three different times when I first saw this. Like, why are they showing? What's, so, what's the big deal? I got the number. I counted 15. And like, why is this such a big deal? And then someone said, no, no, no. Don't count. Just watch. It's like, okay, I get it. So what's the point on this? We have this profound ability to focus on things, don't we? We really do. Sometimes we talk about being distracted, and yes, that's true, but really when we're, when we're focused in on things and where we're looking at things, we have this ability to, to block out everything around us. So let me expand this idea a little bit further beyond just this capacity. Too often we can become so preoccupied with the circumstances of our life, we fail to realize there are other things going on around us. That's what's going on in the story we just read about Peter. While the other disciples were worried about the storm, they're, they're tired, they're, they're, experience, they're, they're really in tune with their emotions and physical well-being, Peter saw an opportunity to do something no one else had ever done before. Peter didn't always get it right. Peter was not perfect. Peter made lots of mistakes. But in this moment, Peter saw the gorilla. This story, it leaves me with three thoughts as we're uh, just thinking about what it looks like to walk on water. My first thought is this. When it comes to walking on water, water walkers see Jesus in the midst of storms. In what environment does God speak to you? Now, that's one of the things that we believe as part of our theology, as part of our experience, is that God still speaks to us today. It may not be an audible voice, and I've never heard an audible voice, and, but there's still this sense of God speaking to us, either by through reading his word, that there's something that just comes alive, and, and it just comes with our own spirit. We just sense that there's something significant, and God might be speaking to our thoughts. And So what does that look like for you? What environment do you best hear God's voice? Now, for some, it's a daily quiet time where you, before everyone else gets up, or you're by yourself, and you're reading, and, and you're alone. And for some of you, you experience God through corporate times of worship, where we're singing and lifting our voices, and there's music, and you're with others, and you just sense God's presence, and you feel that his, um, his love and his affirmation in your life. And so we feel that. And so, even in with the passage we read just before, Jesus, he sent the disciples off in the boat, and he went up alone to pray. That was his time where he was alone with God. And this is all good. I mean, this is, this is, this is, uh, this is all good. Here's the thing, though, that I'm really conscious of, that sometimes God interjects himself, not in the quiet moments, but he je- injects himself in the chaotic moments of life. That God's moments are often disguised as distractions, inconveniences, and hardships. In those moments is when we can see God. And if that's true, and I really believe it is, it's important that we're able to recognize God's activity in the midst of life's chaos, in the midst of all the noise. Peter had this really cool ability to do just that. This isn't the only time we've seen this. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going into the temple. Remember that story, some of you. And as they're going, getting ready to go into the temple, a beggar asks them for money. And those of you who are familiar with the story know Peter's response. 
silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he pulls him up and the man's healed. Here's the important thing to realize about that story. That story is not a personal interaction between two people. I mean, it's not just an isolation. If they're outside the temple. There are probably hundreds of people milling around. It's noisy. There's animals walk around. It's dusty. It's dirty. This beggar, I can guarantee you, is not the only beggar outside the temple gate at this time of day. There are probably dozens of them all begging and asking and shouting. This was a chaotic moment. So that's just the context. And then Peter and John, if they're anything like us, let me say if they're anything like me, they're trying to figure out as they're walking into the, you know, as getting into the temple, they're trying to figure out how am I going to pay the mortgage this month? Or um, one of their kids is really having a big problem at home and how are they going to deal with that, you know, as they're thinking through life and they probably just had that week's biggest argument with their spouse. And now they're running late for church or temple and they're trying to get in and their beggar's asking them for money. You know, so you hear what I'm saying is that, again, it's in the midst of life. It's chaotic. It's, life doesn't just stop. And in the movies, we often see there's this critical moment where the music changes. You know, all right, something's going to happen. Everything kind of just, and like, it's so obvious that this is the moment. Rarely is that my experience with God. It's usually, it's like, wait a minute, what just happened here? And you have to really think back and try and reflect on that. So my point is this, God's activity doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in the midst of life, and life is complex, and life is messy and noisy, and it happens within those types of situations. I love the, the stories. Some of you who are history buffs um, during World War II know that Germany was bombarding England, especially London, mercilessly every night, night after night, just bombing the city in preparation. What they hoped for was in preparation for an invasion of England, which fortunately never came. But it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> at that point in time, it looked like England was going to fall. I mean, there was very little hope that it was going to be able to hold out. And, and, uh, but then after the war, we all you know, can know that, how that ended. Someone was talking with Winston Churchill, who was the prime minister at the time. And so they were, at, they were interviewing him afterwards. And the question was this. During the bombing of London, when you were in your bomb shelter, <clears throat> what did you think about? What did you do? And I thought his response was really cool. He says, I planned our invasion of Europe. It wasn't, which for me it was that he wasn't, I mean, he was conscious about what was happening in his country and food, and there was all kinds of problems. In the midst of all that, though, he was looking forward to the day that he knew the tide was going to change. I love that, that we're not so caught up in our present circumstances that we're not able to actually look ahead and say, all right, God, what is going to be around the corner? Our current circumstances don't have to define us. <clears throat> if you're in the midst of a storm right now, don't be afraid. I've discovered God does some of his best work in the midst of life's greatest storms. So water walkers see Jesus in the midst of storms. My second thought is this. Water walkers understand they are helping to write God's story. 
the thing that intrigues me the most about this whole incident with Peter is that this whole episode is Peter's idea. The way the story is written and the way it's being told, if Peter doesn't say anything to Jesus, if he doesn't say, hey, Jesus, if it's okay, can I, if Peter just sits quietly in the boat, the way the story is being told, Jesus just gets in the boat and they continue on their way. Nothing, nothing would have happened had Peter not taken the initiative to say, hey, can I walk on the water with you? Think about that for a moment. I, he, see, here's the thing. I think that when the Bible talks about in Genesis about us being created in God's image, there's been a lot of speculation with it. What we know for certain is that that's not a physical description. We don't look like God because God doesn't have a body. God is spirit, and God exists outside of time and space, so it's not a physical likeness. I really believe it's this the ability to create. We talk about God making humans in his image while he's creating. I just think that's what God created us to do. So this idea of creating, of taking initiative, and of doing something I think it's part of how we're wired. I think it's part of how God has made us. You see, we know how the story ends in life. We know that if you've read the book of Revelation, we know how the story, the global, the human story ends. The question that's really captured me these last couple of years is, what if the chapters before the final chapter haven't been written yet? What if it's not already scripted out. And what if, see, I used to think that when we talk about God's sovereignty, that God had everything mapped out piece by piece, every step by step, everything was all set. That, that when you talk about God is sovereign, that, that he has the path. There's one path for me to follow and take. And what's interesting is technology has helped me rethink that a little bit. And that's the GPS. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, you're putting your GPS, here's where I want to go. And you set off in your path, and it says, you know, turn left. And I say, nah, I'm going to go straight. What happens? It recalculates, doesn't it? And so you go another mile, and so now you go this way, and you disregard it again. What does it do? It It continues to recalculate Eventually, you're going to get, if, unless you continually disregard the directions, eventually you're going to get to your destination. It might take you a little longer. Or it might be a little bit more of a, a longer wrath, path, but you're going to get there. So that led me to think, what about this whole thing with God? What if it's about the destination? The journey itself is negotiable. And I guess for me, again, look, referring back to the GPS if you're going from point A to point B, how many ways are there to get there? With a GPS, pretty much limitless. Depending on, and you could, you could start off going the opposite direction. And it'll recalculate and get you there. So the options are limitless because no matter how many times you disregard Siri's instructions, she's always going to recalculate and get you to your, or at least give you a way to get you through. So again, what if God's will for me is more about the destination as opposed to the path itself? What if instead of a singular line that I have to follow to stay in God's will, what if I have an unlimited number of options to choose from? 
No, don't get me wrong. I think there are times when God says, no, this is what I want you to do. And we see that in Scripture very clearly where there is a very specific instruction. That here's what I want you to do. And, 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 and so I'm, I'm not in any way disregarding that. However, in my life, I face forks in the road, if you will, and I don't have clarity. I don't have this really clear, this is the way. There's been other, most, a lot of times for me, it's like, I have a choice to make. And it's not necessarily that one is better than the other. They're, they're, each one of them is going to have its own implications and ramifications, but there's a choice there. Where I'm really kind of coming to believe is that God, that's part of being created in his image, is that we have choices we can choose. We can help write the story, if you will. In those situations, I believe God allows us to go ahead and make the decision we think is best for us. He'll simply recalculate the course. He will get us to our destination. If God has a specific plan or direction for you, he'll let you know. We see that in Scripture so many times where there is specific guidance. But let me be clear about this. Nothing, nothing can keep God from accomplishing his purposes in you and me. Nothing. Nothing. God's plans and purposes for us will be fulfilled. Between here and there, though, there's some options for us to take. So when I say water walkers understand they're helping to write God's story, I'm not suggesting that it's okay just to make rash decisions and make arbitrary things and just do things willy-nilly because it's an impulse. Peter didn't just jump out of the boat. What did he do? He first asked Jesus for permission, didn't he? So just because you have an idea doesn't mean you should act on it immediately. Peter said, all right, Here's my impulse. Here's what I think is really cool. And I think that was really, I think that was really good. But he said, God, Jesus, if this is okay, let me know. And Jesus said, come on, come on out. So for me, that tells me that when I do have this interest or desire or I'm thinking of making this decision, for me, I have to say, all right, first off, have I surrendered my life to Jesus? Am I, am I willing to submit to his will and purposes for me? Am I praying and seeking his best? Have I prayed about it? God is, here's, you know, I've discovered too, if something is just kind of a moment, a pass, a fleeting idea, over time that, that interest in doing it diminishes. I lose interest. If it's of God, it actually grows in intensity. That's one of the ways I discern if this is something that God wants me to do. Another thing that you, we should be doing is are you receiving godly counsel? And I said, not just counsel, godly counsel. People who can actually help um, and are actually praying with you and believe and want the best for you. If you're married, that has to include your spouse. I don't know that there's any decision of significance that Betsy and I have not made together. Um, And I just think that's part of God's uniting, and I think that's the way God wanted it to work, work things through. If you're doing these things and you feel this sense of... God might be calling me. I have this desire to get out of the boat and walk on water, and I think God might have just said, okay. And if you're praying and you're, you're doing things, I think it's okay to get out of the boat. I think, I think that's really good. Now, let me be really specific. Water walkers do not have a guarantee that they will be spared from adversity. So just because you launch out into the water doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems or it doesn't mean that. 
that it's going to succeed because that is not the case. Paul suffered physical, emotional, and mental adversity few others have ever known. I mean, yet he was constantly launching out in faith. Peter saw the wind, and he started to sink, and he needed to be rescued. So I have no doubt that you will face adversity if you step out of the boat. I have no doubt that you'll face adversity. So the question has to be asked, well, why take the risk? Why go through that? Which leads me to my third thought. Water walkers want the adventure with God. Jesus never criticized the 11 who remained in the boat. You can stay in the boat. But think of what you're missing. As the years went by, I can just imagine Peter retelling this story. Hey, I walked on water. You know, when he first told it, probably just a few feet. But I'm sure as the years gone by, if it's like the fishing stories, you know, uh, you know, it's, oh, it was a quarter of a mile down the lake, you know, with Jesus, you know, or, you know, you know, but it became a part of his narrative, part of his story with Jesus, part of his faith story. Yeah, it was scary, it was troubling, and he didn't, and really, in reality, he didn't really succeed. I mean, he took a step or two, but really wasn't, but still, to be able to encounter God like that. Peter may have felt a sense of failure in, in that regard, but he was the only one to actually walk on water. I mean, he did it. He's also the only one who knew the joy of being lifted up by Jesus in a moment of desperate need. You only know Jesus as your provider. You only know Jesus as your healer. You only know Jesus in those ways if you're in the circumstances that require that in the first place. To me, the worst failure is not to sink in the waves. To me, the worst failure is to never get out of the boat. So one final thought. In verse 31, the very end, it says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? So my question is, who is Peter doubting? Jesus? I don't know. Himself? I've heard it said that Jesus was criticizing Peter. In fact, I've, I've actually heard sermons where Peter was criticized and condemned for having a lack of faith, and that's why he failed. And that's, Honestly, as I read this story, that's not what Jesus was saying. He was not condemning Peter. If Peter was talking to, or I'm sorry, if Jesus was talking in today's language and if he was talking to like one of us, here's what he would have said. Dude, you almost had it. What happened? That's not a condemnation. It's like, you were so close. That, is, that was so cool. You all, that was what Jesus was trying to say. It was not a condemnation of Peter, like he somehow failed. It was like he was celebrating. I, I, the analogy is for me is this. When, you're, when our kids, you have your, your kids are, are learning to walk, and, um, you know, they, they take a step or two, and they fall, no parents will say, you idiot, what's wrong with you? Why can't you walk? No, it's like, 
that's the way to go. And I know for our, our first one, it's like, I mean, I was so proud. You know, your first child, and they're walking, and it was, come on, you can do it. And you help them. And, and that's, that's what Jesus was doing with Peter. It's funny, funny, by the third time the third child comes out, sit down, you know. and <laughs> Yeah, sit down. Now, we know what happens when they start walking. It's like, we're not going to, we'll postpone that longer. So, uh, but that's what Jesus was doing. I think that's what Jesus does with us. So often we're sitting in the boat waiting for God to call us to do something. And I think God is saying to you, what do you want to do? What excites you when you think about life? When you go to bed at night, what do you dream about? What do you dream about when you wake up? What does what, what, what God put in your heart? It's that ability to take that idea, to take that thought and create something out of it that I think is what it means to be made in God's image. It's not waiting for him to make everything happen. Sometimes we've got to say, God, is this okay? Are you, is this what you're calling me to do? And, and we test it and we, we discern it and we try to get a sense of this, was it, but, but then we sometimes have to just take that leap of faith, if you will. Sometimes we'll fall, and sometimes we'll get hurt, and sometimes it doesn't work. But that's what life, that's the seasoning of life. If we're just sitting in the boat waiting for every other circumstances to come together, they never will. Life is never that way. Rarely do everything line up where we say it's all ready to go and I'm ready. Again, I think there's some wisdom that needs to be discerned in that. But what I'm really wanting us to get a glimpse of here at Grace Covenant States Focus is to never be afraid. I want us to be a people who aren't afraid to take a risk. It might be a calculated risk. We might want to figure it out. We want to work it through. But, but let's, let's be risk takers. Let's be water walkers. Let's not be content just to stay in the boat. Then when it comes to fulfilling God's purposes for our lives as individuals, Let's celebrate with one another. Let's encourage one another. And, and let's rejoice in what God has called us to do as individuals. But let's also do that as a community. What is God calling us to do together in our community? How can we do that better together? What does that look like? I just think there's so much that God wants for us to do. And really, it's up to us. We are the ones that can determine that. Again, I'm not saying that we're trying to work outside of God. I think I'm just saying that I think sometimes we're a little too passive and acting on what God has put in our hearts. If there's something that God has put in your heart, maybe it's time to get out of the boat and act on that. I think this morning that Jesus is calling to all of us, come, join me in the adventure I have for you. Don't be afraid. If I have to, I can recalculate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, when I think about Peter, he, he often got it wrong. He was impulsive. He uh, didn't always see things the way he should have. But there was something about him that really drew him to you, Lord Jesus. There's something special about Peter. And I think it was not so much that it was personality. I think it was just his willingness to recognize you in the midst of life circumstances. Father, my prayer is that we would have that same ability, that we're all busy, 
we may have physical challenges, financial challenges, relational challenges. We, we've all got something going on in life. But Father, in the midst of all that, we find you and we can hear your voice and we can see you working. And Father, in those moments, may we have the insane courage to ask you, is it okay? Can I get out of the boat? And Father, in those moments when that's okay, when that's the direction, Lord, may we then have courage to do just that. Father, my prayer is that we be a people of great courage, that we be a people who aren't afraid to step out and to, uh, to follow you and to look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. So, Father, my, as I pray this morning, if there's anyone who's really struggling in an area of their life, may they be able to have clarity on that this day. That there may be steps they need to take that have, they've been afraid of. And, Father, may this be the day that the Holy Spirit says today's the day. And they have enough courage to actually do what they know in their heart they need to do. And, Father, there may be others who are really struggling with really not knowing what that is. Maybe not sure of what you would want them to do, what's even available. Lord, I pray that the the dreams that you've placed in their heart, the ideas, the the things that they are thinking, may they come alive in ways they've never experienced before. May those dreams continue to grow and develop, that they have a sense of excitement and passion and purpose for their life. So, Lord, uh, we're yours. We want you to work in our lives. We want to honor you in all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.